Hello, hello, hello. So, the big reveal. The bit that I've been working on so hard with clients on for the last little while, which I'm very excited to release, which is the launch of the brand new up-to-date female follow-up program. So what makes this so, so different compared to anything else that you see out there from other coaches, other people? This has actually been created by clients. So I spoke to a number of my one-to-one clients and my group coaching clients in the last little while. And I sat down with them and had a meeting with them and had a call with them and kind of asked them what would they need or what did they want at the very beginning that they potentially didn't see from anyone else. So what they've gone and done in the background is they've created add-ons to what I already do. So if you're someone who's looking to finally lose all that weight, keep it off, banish the belly, understand that you can have your weekends have your drinks away have your meals away have your drinks out with the girls or the lads whatever it may be and break that all or nothing mindset so most approaches that you go for it all seems very very doable for the first few weeks and then you stop the wheels come off you start off very very confident and then something happens life ramps up one of the kids gets sick and then you're staring back at you and looking in the mirror again and you're looking at yourself putting yourself down you look at you start to pinch you start to look at everything else and you're looking for someone to aid you. You're looking for someone to guide you. But nothing ever happens. The scales never budge. You are losing confidence. You're losing motivation. You're losing determination. You get frustrated. You end up pressing the fuck up button, getting a takeaway, having a few drinks, eating more than you maybe need to. You decide to sit down and have a Netflix marathon and you end up getting about 1,200 steps in your day. You end up picking more food because you don't know how to deal with your emotions. You let things slide over a week or two and then you're back up into your old thing. You repeat that cycle over and over again and you're lost. You don't know what to do. You've tried everything. You've tried clean eating. You've tried low carb. You've tried fasting diets. You've tried keto. You've tried cutting out chocolate. You've tried every, you've tried every single insane thing that you've ever done. But this program is going to be different. This is now eight weeks of coaching where you get weekly check-ins. You have weekly lives with me on a Facebook group. You get your tailored calories. You've gym or home workouts. You are able to do this at any age. The workouts take anywhere between 30 minutes to an hour, depending on how quick you are doing them. It doesn't mean that you have to do endless amounts of prep. The simple thing that we focus on at the very beginning of each week is, have you got a shop in? That's easy. It doesn't mean endless amounts of cardio. It doesn't mean that you're cutting out any food group. It means that you're able to have chocolate and carbs every single day. You're getting rid of food fear. You're getting rid of that all or nothing mindset. And the biggest thing that I would say is that is the feedback that is coming back from the current female fat loss group and the current one-to-one clients. It's losing that food fear. It's losing that fear of undoing anything. It's losing that all or nothing mindset. So it can be done. Once you let go of that fear, life changes. Your mindset changes dropping restriction dropping those food rules that's what this program is for my job with this program is to make sure this is the last program you ever do that you are in a place that i'm going to give you all the secrets and the tips that you're able to go off on your own by at the end of it so what does it involve it involves you clicking on the button into in the show notes to book on your priority place it's eight weeks of coaching for 99 euro the old package was six weeks of coaching for 169. I brought it down for eight weeks coaching, so I've added another two weeks on for 99 euro. That's one euro 70 a day. 
that is half your cup of coffee if you live in Dublin or one of those fancy cities of your cup of coffee a day. It's one euro seventy. It's not a whole lot to get life-changing results, a life-changing mindset that's going to add to your life and the people around you. So if you're ready, click on the link below, book your spot. As soon as that number, as soon as the number gets hit on the amount of people that sign up, that link will shut down and you won't be able to come in. It starts on the 10th of April. So if you have a holiday, if you have something coming up in the summer, like getting married, it's perfect for you. It will get you the results that you can actually keep and maintain. There's recipe books, there's workouts, there's lives, there's Q&As with me, and there's weekly check-ins for accountability. And there's a like-minded group of a Facebook group that you can share things with, and everyone supports everyone. You don't have to share if you don't want, but you can if you want. It's support that a lot of people want. It's getting away from that all-or-nothing mindset, and that's what this is for. So if you're interested in working with me in the Female Fat Loss Program, starts on the 10th of April, 2023, 99 euro for, for eight weeks, which is year, 1 euro 70 a day. I'm keeping, it, I'm keeping it cheap and cheerful so everyone can join. So if you're interested, click on the link below, and I'm looking forward to working with you on the 10th of April. Hello, 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 and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Podcast. So today's guest is someone that is very special, I think is we've had a lot of contact recently because if you were aware of what happened kind of maybe three four or five weeks ago someone gave me a call out for talking about perimenopause and amanda is doing incredible work and is a voice of reason when it comes to this and it was a very important discussion that we had on this episode so today's episode is with amanda Thieb, and amanda is a fitness and women's health expert she is the author of the Amazon best-selling book *Menopocalypse* and how I learned to thrive under and during menopause, and how you can t- how you can too. She has nearly thirty years of experience in the fitness industry herself, and she's very very highly regarded expert on women's fitness and health. She is Canada's first menopause workplace educator as well, and she pr- provides on-site talks, education, and virtual representations and presentations as well. Amanda has her own story of how she has come through menopause and perimenopause and now through this side and some of the topics that we kind of talk about plus tangents is why exercise is important at any stage of life but going through the, the through that next stage is why it's even more important we talk about how to manage those symptoms on a scale of one to ten we talk about the importance of a particular study called the swan study we talk about should male trainers talk about menopause we talk about why behavior change is so important to compare to those quick fixes that we all go for. We talk about how to actually prepare the conversation to talk to your doctor if you don't feel supported, which I think is a massive thing. We also talk about that you don't need to go for anti-inflammatory foods and why it can be harder to lose weight around perimenopause and can you do that if you actually choose to, to do that. It's a hugely powerful episode and it was great to actually have a proper conversation about... And discussion about the, the particularly the male trainers talking about menopause and cycles and and all that kind of stuff so i hope you guys enjoy the episode with amanda Thieb. amanda how are we good i've done this before you know just in case you wonder <laughs> you're a seasoned professional uh, i'm a seasoned professional it's just uh, people who were listening i was like are we recording are we recording and we're recording now let's yeah, do it shane not until that, that that robot voice comes on and says that you're recording. We're not recording until... How are we anyway? Good? 
Yeah, not bad. Early morning here in uh, Toronto, but yeah, it's good to see you. Interesting how we met. I know, yeah, which we'll, we'll, we'll have to go into. We'll have to let the listeners know exactly what, how we cross paths. But for anyone who isn't aware of what Amanda does and what, who Amanda is, can you tell us a little bit of a quick story and your background and the amazing work that you do? I'm, yeah, Amanda Thebe. I'm a personal trainer and nutrition coach, so the same as you. I'm the author of um, the book Menapocalypse, which is a bestseller in my category. So that's good. It's in its third year now. It's uh, still got legs, which is great. Um, and you know what? The long story short is I've been, I'm 52 now. I've been doing this for 30 years on and off. You know, I've had other full-time jobs in between and stuff, but 30 years in the industry with every subspecialty going. There's so many out there, you know, in this industry, right? From pregnancy to seniors. I've worked with pro athletes, the NBA, some NBA players. And so I've had like a really fun, like varied um, career. And personally thought I was well-versed in most areas of health and wellness. And then when I got hit with a perimenopause sledgehammer that literally knocked the wind out of me for two years where I, you know, didn't recognize myself. The symptoms were life altering and it impacted my physical health, my mental health, my relationships with my husband. And I was in Canada at the time. And at the time, it isn't quite so much now. The healthcare system was amazing. And I got referred to so many different specialists, had so many different lots of testing, must have cost the healthcare system a fortune. And it was all inconclusive. Yeah, you look like crap, but we don't know what's wrong with you, the type thing. (laughs) In fact, one of the nurses came up to me and she went, you know, you look terrible. I think you might be having a migraine. And I went, no, because I'm seeing a neurologist. And he said, it's not a migraine. She went, "Mm, I think it's a migraine. And I'm like, you know what, nurses know stuff. You know, my mother-in-law was a nurse and she always used to say things. And I'd be like, I think she knows. Anyway, I went to a gynecologist for something else. And he was like, yeah, these are just perimenopausal symptoms. I can help you. You know, you don't have to suffer. You are struggling with migraines and depression and a bunch of other stuff. And 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 that was, I was furious, actually. I was relieved, relieved that it wasn't anything like life-threatening. Um, and then um, I was furious. I was furious because I just thought, why didn't I know about this? And if I don't know about this, then do other women know about this? Like there was a, a knowledge gap that I just didn't, I didn't get why I didn't know. My idea of menopause was you're 51 to maybe older, you don't have periods and you have some hot flashes and then you just get on with it. And it's just so much more than that. And uh, so I sort of fell down that rabbit hole and came out of it with a book and a massive community and um, it's across different platforms. Of a, I think it's an, I said 80,000 to someone recently, but I think when I counted, there's about 100,000. And so there's a lot of women listening because they're like, what the fuck is going on? And, um, they're, and they're hearing messages about should or shouldn't I be on a hormone therapy? What type of exercise should I be doing? And I feel like I fit the picture well because I'm sort of in the middle. I've got the ear of all of the medical doctors so I can refer based on data that we know. I've got my expertise in the my field and nutrition and exercise. And I'm a woman who's gone through menopause as well. So I think I'm just that relatable person. I think that's exactly what it is. It's that relatable person because that would be the one thing that I can never, ever have or kind of like I can I can only understand it from a, from a science point of view. I can never understand it from a psychological point of view. 
And that's kind of like the big thing for me is kind of like being able to kind of take my step away from that and say, well, here's some things that we can do. And it's about trying and testing out which what you can do and pointing people in the right direction for getting tests, getting the hormones screened, what conversations and how to pro- approach those conversations with doctors. Because that is a massive struggle. I'm surprised yeah. how big a struggle it actually is. You've got some great resources in Ireland, though. Like the, I, I love um, Catherine O'Keefe. I don't know if you know Catherine. She's Catherine's a wealth been on of the knowledge. Podcast, yeah, she's oh, awesome. I love her. Yeah, and and I and her in particular is the person I go to in Ireland because she's one of the first to talk about it. She's written a book. Just got a book out about it. She does this wellness summer every year, like this menopause summit. She started it. There's people trying to sort of like copy it, but whatever, who cares? But she's she's one of these people that is in the middle. She's like, you know, I see it from all angles and she understands that not every woman is the same. And unfortunately, I think a lot of the conversation is very blanket when it comes to menopause. And, you know, I was mansplained for the very first time in my whole whole life, like in fitness. I posted something on YouTube and it was a, a male trainer because you just said, I'll never experience it. Right. And this guy came on and he went, um, yeah, like nice lifting or whatever, but throwing menopause in there is some type of an excuse. Come on, it's not that bad. Um, and nothing changes. So yeah, well done, but and I just was like, oh my God, we have a ways to go, Shane. <laughs> yeah, it's it I think it's definitely the tide is changing, but there's a hell like you're you're trying to get through years like hundreds and thousands of years of not understanding what it was and how it impacts people. And like I was I had a a neuroscientist on the podcast talking about kind of like the why women where those are menstrual cycles might struggle a little bit more with kind of like dementia and Alzheimer's because of hormones. Like that's how much of an impact it has on people. It, it Who was that? Who did you have on? Uh, Tommy Wood. Oh, Tommy so Wood. He was on uh, Dr. Chatterjee's podcast yeah. uh, recently enough. And he's a, he works with uh, Formula One drivers on how to impact their brains. He yeah, It was incredible. Like even talking about heading a football, I was kind of like, I'm going to have to stop heading a football now. I do. It's one of the worst things for concussion. And my my son played Texas football, like American football, and it's less dangerous than heading a football. It's literally what I do on a weekly basis. Well, then you're a you're a heat the ball. My Scottish husband I'm, would say, "Yeah, I'm a head ball, head the ball myself." Um, but I think one of the bit how as someone kind of like from going to see like doctors and specialists and stuff like that, and it can be a difficult kind of having that open conversation especially when you're not feeling yourself and you may struggle with kind of getting the sentences out and the words out and forgetting what you're trying to say how how would you kind of navigate that whole thing or how have you navigated having that conversation with the doctor and wanting to feel supported rather than feeling like ah you're just being silly because that has been said oh for sure and and i think it happens for a number of reasons there's genuine gaslighting happens but there's also a genuine knowledge gap right we know doctors don't get training in menopause and so I mean, I really struggled with it because I didn't have any knowledge about perimenopause. So I had two years in a medical system over here where none of the doctors knew it was hormonal. I didn't know it was hormonal because I presented with um, migraines with aura, which meant essentially that I would lose feeling in my face and down one side of my body. I would fall over, be sick, lose vision. Like I thought I was having a stroke. And then like, and not even the neurologist fuck knows I don't know why I didn't know that was a migraine but you know I have brilliant balance I I don't fall over I've been exercising for years and he was like well you're very steady on your feet I'm like well yeah no shit that's like literally what I do for a job whatever 
So like I had like the experience that a lot of women have where they don't know what's going on. And so they go to their doctor and they might present with like, oh, yeah, I've had this like really like bad headache for weeks and weeks or I think I've got anxiety or depression and they get treated for those individual symptoms. And and so what ideally would happen is if the woman was over the age of 45 and she started presenting with any number of the symptoms of menopause, which are 34 plus, 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 maybe up to 50. Ideally, the doctor would say, you're presenting with perimenopausal symptoms and I can help you. And these are the treatment protocols. And that is the ideal world. But the but the reality of it is most women are unprepared for perimenopause. A recent study that I was reading here in Canada is that 47, sorry, no, it was six in 10 women didn't know what all of the symptoms were in menopause, things like joint pain, migraines, depression, anxiety. They just thought it was hot flashes, et cetera. So there's this massive knowledge gap for women and there's a complete knowledge gap for GPs unless they've had specialty training in menopause, right? They have to opt in and do a few hours. It's not even months, right? So so how do you prepare for that? Well, I think that the onus has to be on us at the moment until things are better, and so for me, it's like if you're a woman and you're into your 40s, you're probably going to be starting to go through perimenopause and you're probably going to be having symptoms, right? Most women have symptoms. 25% of women will have life-altering symptoms. That's probably the category I fell into. And um, so you need to know what's going on and nobody's going to tell you. You're going to have to like try and find out. That's actually why I wrote the book. You can go to the British Menopause Society. There's a bunch of other resources out there, right? So like actually learn about what's happening in this phase of your life. You have to be the leader in the conversation. Then go to the menopause societies and download the prescription guidelines. So, I mean, I have them all on my website if people want to go to them. But like, so in the UK, there's the NICE guidelines. I don't know what they are in in Ireland, if they follow the NICE guidelines or something else. Yeah, print them out. Highlight, Highlight the things you want to talk to the doctor about. They may not know these things exist, right? But these are protocols that have been approved by the menopause societies. So be educated, go in with like what you and ask for it. And then if the doctor won't help you, then you ask for a referral. Sometimes you might need to ask for a double appointment if that's humanly possible. I don't even know if you can do that these days. Um, But um, if the doctor won't help you, doesn't feel comfortable helping you, um, you've done everything you can do, haven't you? Like you've you've gone in there educated. And one of the things I would say is that if try and keep some type of a, like a, a menopause diary, like a symptom diary over a three to four month period, it doesn't even have to be a fancy app. I mean, I'm totally analog. I've got like about 100 notebooks around me right now, one for every aspect of my life. And I started just writing down every day, like how I felt out of a score one to 10, I'm like a two to 10 today. So life was, wasn't going to happen easily. Right. And then I would like what my symptoms were, how I felt. And then I'd sort of like summarize that and go to the doctor and go, you know, for the last like 10 weeks or so I've had like 12 migraines or I've been, I've had a low mood, maybe depression for like 10 of those weeks as well. Like going, like summarizing it so that because I know that when I went to the doctor, I would talk about what was happening to me in the moment, right? Because we do. And the thing is with perimenopause, the symptoms come and go. It's like playing whack-a-mole with your symptoms. Like you just don't know what's going to happen from one minute to the next. So it's just, it's like the old dib, 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 isn't it? Be prepared. Yeah, it's, it's like kind of come, becoming your own case study. 
having that little diary of kind of saying right this is how i've been feeling for this many times or whatever it is and i I say that to clients as well like prepare particularly if people are having difficulties with menstrual cycles and stuff it's it's important to say being prepared because there will be awkward questions but if you say right here's the data this is exactly what's happening as you said if your symptoms are kind of not aren't consistent or they're kind of like as you said if they're hot flashes or your mood could be up today low tomorrow or even within the space of half an hour they could change as well so it's important to know what the consistent feeling is for yourself and being able to actually explain that um the the big things one of the big posts that you had recently was your one to ten scale of actually managing Mm. your your symptoms and exercise i thought it was a brilliant brilliant post and it was a really really well written can you explain what that is and how you yeah how the whole post please yeah i sort of do touch on it in my book and it was something i sort of learned from my itself and I think this applies to any aspects of our life. But I mean, my audience is menopausal midlife women, right? So it it feels more pertinent to them. And especially because symptoms can leave us bagged, right? I mean, one of the biggest symptoms of perimenopause is chronic fatigue. So when you spoke to your neuroscientist, he probably told you about energy pathways are driven with, with estrogen. And so a lot of women will have this bone dead fatigue that we literally can't get off the sofa, you know, like we can't nap it away. We can't sleep it away. And so as women, like, so as me personally, I love structure. I love like knowing what my workouts are going to be. I love writing all of the things down. Like I've, I know progressive overload. I know how to write programs. And I was realizing that going through perimenopause, there were days when I just couldn't exercise like I wanted to. And then there were days where the, I had so much energy. I just, you know, needed to go full pelt. And then most of the days were spent in the middle. And so there were days where my energy level was maybe a five out of 10, where I felt like I should do something, but I don't have the full energy to do a great workout. And so I sort of like started looking at the way I was training myself. And I was like, this I need to relook at this. And so I I came up with this chart and I called it uh, structured flexibility. And I sort of went by this gauge of like, you know, if you're feeling like mark down your feelings every day, write them down. Hey, you're feeling one out of 10, which is like a a bag of crap or two or three out of 10 where, you know, you feel like you can maybe potter around the house. Like just be really honest, create like an idea of what you're feeling like. And then let's look at your schedule of workouts around that. And so on those days where I was feeling like a three to four, what I would do is I knew that movement was helping with my depression, right? It really was. It was one of the things I struggled with hormone therapy. So I had to do all of the other stuff and we should all be doing all of the other stuff anyway with the stress management, but moving just was like the, you know, the cherry on the top of the the Sunday type thing. And so I um, would go through just biomechanics. I would just like work through my deadlift with like lighter weights. I would do some mobility drills because mobility matters when we're getting older, right? And so I just would adapt my workout accordingly. And then when I was maybe feeling on a five to six scale where I had a bit more energy, I would start writing my workouts in in circuits rather than in like supersets like that I had to go through. And what I would do is I would adjust my superset program and make it in the same order, but just in a circuit. So I would do like my 12 um, goblet squats with my 10 push-ups. And then I would, um, you know, just continue on with adequate rests and stuff and then just do one round. And at the end of that one round, if I felt like that was enough, that was a win. Every time I moved, it was considered a win. 
I wasn't looking for a cop out. I was looking for a way to feel successful because that also impacted my mental health. And then a lot of the times I would start it and then I'd feel, oh, I can actually do another set or another set. And so it was having that flexibility to say, I got to stop now or, you know, there's something more in the tank. And then the tens were like the carpe diems, you know, seize the day when you can. And and honestly, this is just common sense, isn't it? It's real common sense. But as women, especially, we were rule followers. We love rules. And if we've been told we've got to go to the gym three times a week or we've got to exercise three times a week, we're going to do it. And then we end up like not eating enough and over-exercising, depleting our body, and then spending four or five days recovering and feeling like crap. And I knew that there was a better way to do it. And so it's actually how I sort of do it now, even though I don't have those one to two days very often. I definitely do a check-in before I work out and I'm going, what's it going to look like today? And and it's been really successful. And that post went nuts. I ended up pinning it to the top of my Instagram because so many people took benefit from it. So yeah, I'm glad you liked it. But it's just very practical. And as coaches, you know, I think it's a very practical way to coach perimenopausal and menopausal women because, you know, we've all had that client that comes in and you can see it in her eyes straight away. She yeah. looks at you and she's like, I, I just don't even know why I'm here. Yeah. And so like, it's an opportunity for you as a coach to be like, you know what, today I've been thinking about our workout, like, how are you feeling today, Mary? Ah, oh, not so great. Great. Because what I was thinking is we could do some band work because I really want to get those like stabilizing muscles, like, you know, activated. And then I thought we'd go through some drills about deadlifts. We're going to do it with like a, a wooden dowel. I just want to look at your biomechanics and, you know, you just give them that win. She needs to feel better when she leaves and when she came in and that's going to get you your win and she's going to keep coming back. And it really is just being that compassionate coach that knows she's capable, but working with where she is because you can see when she can push more. We all can see it as coaches. Yeah. It's about coaching the person that's in front of you rather than just coaching a robot. Because I think I've seen it so many times in the gyms that I train in that it's kind of literally like you're just going through the motions with your clients. And I know when from having been a PT and you're working from 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. and you're caffeined to the hilt and you're kind of back to back to back to back clients, it can be easy to fall into that routine of it. But it's important to say like they they're here for one hour or 45 minutes, whatever the session may be. It's important to make that the best 45 minutes out of their day and yeah. understand what they're looking for even if i remember some clients just kind of came in the odd time for a conversation like they'd be doing yes, i've done that loads i was going to say how many times have you had a client come in and you've ended up just putting the kettle on and sitting yeah, down and having a cup of tea they bring you a coffee and you're kind of like they, they, i don't really feel like trying to say i've had had a pretty crap night's sleep or had a fight or whatever and it's kind of like all right well what do you want to do it's like all right let's do this and then it's kind of figuring that out and then the next day they're ready to to kind of kick ass again and it's, and it's appreciated. It's appreciated, definitely. Yeah, massively. And I think that it's a nice segue into how important, like, the importance of kind of like training at, at any stage of the life, really, but particularly yeah. kind of in preparation for that next stage or the second yeah. puberty, as Lara Bryden calls it. Um, yeah. Why is it so important to kind of have some sort of training and what type of training? Um, well, I mean, for... it's, I feel like this is an opportunity, right? This is, and, and I'm really tired of menopause being given this um, idea that it's, we should be scared and fearful of it. I mean, it's scary and fearful when you don't know what's going into it. So education has got to be the first thing. But I want women to know that they're really capable 
and they're strong and that they can do this, right? And um, and movement plays a huge part in this. In fact, all of the menopause societies highlight the importance of exercise, right? Exercise for like mitigating our stress response and that in turn will help minimize some of the symptoms as a direct correlation. And so, you know, if we go back to that scale and we're due to have a workout and we're feeling like we just can't do it, get outside, go for a walk. And my on my lowest days where I could barely even like function and look at humans, I made myself go out for a 10 minute walk every day. I felt like that because I just knew that it was important, right? I know on a like a cellular level how important it is. And so um every type of movement matters to me. Like, and I think that that's something I want to start with because, you know, a lot of times it's hard to get women to start. And I'm like, yeah. start with something that makes you feel good, right? Nobody's going to judge you if you just do Zumba five days a week. But then it comes to the point where we know there's some physiological changes in menopause and we need to start working with them. And that's from like a, a physical standpoint and also from a deep disease prevention standpoint. And so our musculoskeletal system is impacted as we age through being sedentary, but is specifically impacted through menopause. And so at the top of the hierarchy has got to be strength training, right? Because it's one of the few things that can actually promote bone health, improve bone health and retaining and building any lean muscle that you might have. And um, it's something that I think some women are scared to start. They don't know where to start. It feels scary. I understand all of that, the apprehension. When I wrote the book, there's a 12-week strength training program in there. And I know loads of women that have done it. And uh, at, at the other end going, oh, my God, I like, feel amazing. I'm like, yeah, no shit. We know that. Like the way it gives you confidence and makes you feel capable again. Like I want every woman to experience that. But just from a physical level, knowing that we're more at risk of um, bone breakages, right? We know one in two women after menopause will have a fracture of some type. Um, and even worse than that, if they fracture a hip, there's a there's a, a real health implication for that because we know some women, well, a lot of women die a year after having that. We're talking more seniors now. Yeah. But like I think about what a senior is, and that's only eight years away from me. And I'm like, well, I don't want to be a frail um elderly person. I want to be a resilient elderly person. And I'm not sort of using frail in like a a dismissive way because I know exercise isn't easy for everyone but what I'm saying is there are things that we know that work scientifically that help us with that and on and on a backside of that when you build your bone health and you build your muscle health we also know that it helps with cardiovascular health we know that it helps with our brain health it's used in depression and anxiety treatment protocols now we know that it can um, improve our health outcomes for things like being insulin resistant, potentially diabetic, but obesity, for, you know, like it, you name a cancers, it reduces the risk of all of those things more than anything else, more than anything else. We know that with exercise. And so to me, strength training is the hierarchy. Any type of movement you want to do in between that, try at least twice a week to strength train and within the movement, don't underestimate the power of going for a good old walk because we know that that's super helpful too, right? I used to be the person that was like, I'm never going to walk. I'm only going to run everywhere. And then I shattered my gastroc muscle. It just popped one day. So I had to, it was a bit of a humbling moment. It's the only injury I've ever had. And I had to start 
walking. I don't really love walking. I like going hiking and seeing things and going around my neighborhood was getting a bit boring. But I also knew the benefits of it, right? And so now I'm um, sold. I'm completely sold. I realize I don't always have to go for a run, that I can go for a good walk too. Yeah, I think it's important that it can be something as something as subtle or as small as kind of just going for a 10-minute walk or else even getting friends involved with it as well. If you've got a dog or you've got the kids or maybe you just want to break from the kids as well, that's pretty cool and pretty standard uh, as well. That You can just kind of get friends involved. You could go for a dance lesson or a Zumba lesson. You could go to yoga. You could go to Pilates. It could be whatever you want to do. Yeah, but I think they all like, have a place, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't think exercise discriminates. It's generally also discriminates against exercise. But it's important there is something out there. Like it could be just a hike. It could be a simple hike that you enjoy and just kind of getting out in nature and being doing whatever you want, getting away from the stresses of your life. That could be a major thing. I think we need to go into now is the important element of how we came across each other, which is the... Should male trainers talk about menopause? I'm going to let you tell this story because I, I still I still find it weird how the whole thing came across. Came Dead weird. Dead weird. I was highlighted to another account on Instagram. Um, somebody, I get some stuff all the time, right? And so they were like, is this genuine? And so I went to look at it and that whatever it was whatever it was. And then the next video in the story was this same person pointing to a video of you with a massive red flag saying, like, this isn't okay. And it was essentially a male trainer talking about menopause. And this was a doctor and she was furious about it. She was like saying it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. So I was like, oh, I wonder what he said. Because, you know, it happens. There are some dickheads out there. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go look at this dickheads video. And I looked at it and I was like, that's a really good video. What What was wrong with that? Like, what, what was her problem? I didn't know. And I would never ask this person. But so what I did instead is I was like, I did an Instagram reel that was like, yeah. so you're going to have to cut that bit out. I've got a bit of a frog in my throat. So what I did instead was an Instagram reel where I was like, should male, I think I said should young male trainers, because I've talked to like 20 year olds all the time, 30 year olds all the time. And that's like the lion's share of the industry, right? A lot of the male trainers are that age. Should they talk about menopause? And I'm like, yeah, they should. And why? We literally want the conversation to broad to broaden. We want our male allies in this because I know, like from my husband's perspective, he spent two years were really worried about me because he didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was going on, and so he read my book. He had to vet it, of course. He read my book and was like, "Oh God, this all makes so much sense to me now." And I'm like, if you've got somebody that's talking to you and it's a young male trainer and he's not trying to sell you something he's saying listen I hear you I know what you're going through I've become menopause informed I'm I'm a supportive coach which is all you were doing I think we need more of that I mean for sure people are going to get taken advantage of because that happens all all of the time I mean there's always the scumbags out there And it was overwhelming. The women that were on there going, oh, my God, I work with a male trainer. And I love the fact that he's asked me about menopause. It's been the most impactful thing. I'm never going to stop training with him because he gives a shit. And this was what my gut was telling me. Like, I remember doing a talk to 
um, a, a, a fitness conference in the US and there was 200 people in the audience and most of them were these young male trainers and that was where I got my insight from and I was like menopause vagina menopause vagina and they were like laughing their heads off and they were texting the girlfriends like she's saying dry vagina I can't believe it you know um, and at the end of it I, I couldn't leave the room because the coaches came up to me and were like most of the women that come to my gym are this age range. Most of them tell me that they don't feel great. And I don't understand why this is so helpful. And it, it's going to make them a better coach. And that was essentially it. But then you got some love. I was like, go and go over to Shane and go and give him some love. And I think you woke up the next morning and was like, what the fuck? I was like, what the hell is happening? I think I got something like, I think it was like six or 700 followers over a 24, 36 hour period. I was like, what the? But it was the messages that were coming in afterwards. It was, oh, the, it was the mess. There was the messages kind of coming in, and that was the bit that was a little bit overwhelming more than the actual follows. It's kind of like the, the the love that you you get from completely around random strangers, and the, the support's been amazing. I've had conversations with a lot of them since, but also the opportunities that are kind of coming out of it as well because you don't know who's watching and stuff. But like, it was it's not the first time that the my gender has been brought into what I do on a daily basis which is all no. and unless you like this dickhead who comes on Twitter and mansplains to me I think that we've got a place for this in the conversation and you know I've just done a certification that actually helped co to create and it's called the menopause health and fitness specialist course right because there isn't one that exists really in the health industry um and I know a whole lot of male trainers that are doing this because that's their clientele right and so I just think it was a a bad call by this doctor but what it did show me is that like I know I don't have a massive following I've got a large following but it's not in the hundreds of thousands but it's one it's so active I can barely keep up with it I answer every DM like you I try and answer all the comments um, and it's always been that way and I think it's always been that way because people feel seen and heard and when they listen to your message it was the same thing this is the community of women that take no shit and they want to be heard and they heard themselves in your message, right? And so that's why I think you got all of those nice messages. It's definitely a community. I think that's one of the words you used early on in the episode in our chat today as well. So, you know, I think it's 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 incredible. And um, for anyone who has messaged me from it, thank you very much for doing that. Um, one of the, the big things that I know we're going to talk about kind of the nutrition side of things, one of the big things that kind of can be suggested to someone going through perimenopause and menopause is an anti-inflammatory diet and yep. can you explain what that means and why that may not be necessarily the greatest thing in the world or it could maybe be complete utter bullshit well here's the thing right the state of perimenopause is so somewhat inflammatory right i mean we're going through some physiological processes estrogen estrogen depending on where you're from impacts almost every system in our body Right? And it impacts it in a way that can be sort of traumatic and it eventually dies down and it and things settle down. But there's a there's a state of the body where you probably do have some inflammation. But as a general population person, as a woman in menopause, what does that even mean? Right. And so I'm like you, I've studied nutrition and we inflammation isn't bad by the way i mean we're looking for an inflammatory response especially when we exercise because it helps us recover rebuild and regrow like so the the use of the word inflammation is is almost like using the word insulin or cortisol have all been given really bad connotations when it's not true right so but like too much inflammation can lead to chronic health conditions right so we we've got to like find find the balance but as a 
as a person in menopause, does it really matter? And so when I see all of these like anti-inflammatory diets out there, it's just for me, it's just more gimmicky stuff. Because when you look at the nuts and bolts of a lot of these diets, they're trying to promote you eating lean meats, lean proteins, more fruits and vegetables, um, um, grains, you know, that's usually the, the basis of it. So there's usually an element of truth, but that you don't need to call it an anti-inflammatory diet for that. That's nutritional health basics, right? Because yeah. there's foods out there that promote anti-inflammatory responses. Like we need to have those complex carbohydrates to, you know, help with our LDL levels, for example, our fiber content. And so, um, I just find it just like another gimmicky type of predatory way of coming at menopausal women saying, well, you can't eat this and you can't eat that because that's inflammatory and that's not. Well, food doesn't work in isolation. It, we, we What we eat gets processed sort of like in a big lump anyway. So like saying that sugar is an inflammatory um, substance and needs to be completely avoided just makes no sense whatsoever because that's one of the big things with the anti-inflammatory diet, right? So we have like, we know that too much excess sugar is bad for us. We want to try and limit that. But you know, when people say, well, I don't eat white sugar anymore, but I eat honey on everything and maple syrup. I'm like, well, you might be sanctimonious about that, but your body doesn't give a shit at all. To your body, it ends up being glucose. Glucose and it doesn't give you like a pat on the back for having honey or maple syrup. It's like, how much are you having and stuff? And so this is just like nutritional basics. And I just think that, you know, if any woman is like looking for a diet protocol, if that's something they're looking for, then head I over the Mediterranean diet or the DASH diet, which sort of covers all of those bases anyway. And it's just a really well-rounded way to eat, right? And so, yeah, that's my thoughts on it. I mean, I just think it's it's another thing that's been oversold. Yeah, I think if if anything in nutrition is if it has a definitive against it, it's probably too far to the extreme. I think we're too far to latch onto extremes, right? Somewhere, normally somewhere in the middle. Is generally where the, when nutrition is like clients, I drive clients up the wall by saying it depends. It's generally my favorite answer if they ask me a question, drives them up the wall. Because uh, it, it's all like a Mediterranean diet is probably one of the gold standards for most people. Most people could eat more veggies, more protein, get it's a little the more, best studied, um, the best um, studied that we know. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So a lot more people could, and they, and they have a better quality of life over there as well. So it, yeah. it's people are living longer, but they may not have a quality of life as well. That's essentially what's happening at the minute. Is so, yeah. I think, and you know what, and you know what happens is, you know, women go through these big body uh, recomposition changes in in menopause that may or may not include weight gain, and we just don't like it. Change is difficult, and so when you see a diet that's like promoting intermittent fasting, say for example, because of its anti-inflammatory properties and blah 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 like women are going to go oh well that's the answer to my question because without having like that nutritional background you probably you know don't know the pros and cons of it and so it's like you said if one of your clients came to you and said oh, I'm going to do intermittent fasting because you know it's good for menopausal women and um, should I try it you're going to go well yeah it depends it depends do you like eating breakfast because if you like eating breakfast eat breakfast yeah. Because honestly, the anti-inflammatory response or whatever you want to call it from intermittent fasting is no different to losing weight in any method. So do what works for you. And if you hate breakfast and you don't mind eating until noon, then then do it. But for most people, especially through perimenopause, it just makes you feel like a like a dirty dish rag, right? It's not a nice feeling. Yeah. 
I think you mentioned there at the beginning of that kind of the last section about kind of like the, the composition change for those going through perimenopause and into menopause in relation because I don't think a lot of people realize what actually happens to the body with the different hormones and why it can be because I know it's and I have to be careful how I word this it can become a little bit more I don't like the wording pear-shaped the body become a little bit more pear-shaped or the body can carry a little bit more fat around the stomach area and people are like I want to like it's burn the, that it's off. the pear to apple if we're to use just visual images yeah. the pear to the apple is a, a really good imagery now fat redistribution changes if you want to tell women you're going to be have a fat distribution that's androgen they're not going to understand it but if you say to them you know we typically hold women typically hold fat in their like bums and thighs and then what happens through the menopause transition perimenopause is that we tend to hold more around our belly and and then what's concerning about that is when we hold too much fat we have to be wary of any um excess visceral fat and visceral fat is the fat that we don't see subcutaneous is the jiggly wiggly stuff that we all have and then the, the the visceral fat is around our organs internally and so that's when we need to just pay real attention to our lifestyle choices because you know a lot of those things can be sort of radically reduced the risk factors from them with good health style and um, lifestyle protocols yeah, I think it's like it is important, like that. No amount of sit-ups or no amount of crunches or no amount of burpees that are going to make your life miserable are going to have an impact on that. It can't. It, it's it's nothing that it could be something that. Yeah, I don't think it's it's talked about enough why that change happens. I, I think a lot of people are kind of like because so many people have been subjected to the media, they need to have a lean stomach or a flat stomach in order to be happy, all that kind of stuff. That can kind of like come into your head, particularly if you're feeling a little bit lower or lower about yourself it's it's important to understand what what can be done it's working on whatever training that you would or form of movement that you enjoy about being consistent with it and then managing your sleep and your stress if you generally get those four pillars managed a little bit more and then also the most important thing is getting your hormones looked up and being yeah. on that end because I think a lot of people when they're when they're getting their hormones screened they didn't even like I'm surprised still surprised I don't know if that's my own kind of kind of good ability of like a lot of people don't know that they get actually get their hormone screen they think it's a blood test or they think just get a normal blood test but there's a hormone screen that people can get so like it's always not always it's always not necessary to get that either so if you're if if you're a woman over 45 ideally the doctor treats you on a symptomatic basis only because hormones fluctuate in the dynamic right so it's not an, a very accurate picture there's different circumstances where blood tests are helpful like under the age of 40 is considered premature menopause and so they have to rule out other things early menopause is between 40 and 45 and that's like when you're actually in menopause when you haven't had a period and they have to just double check there's nothing else going on right because um, you know, it doesn't it isn't always menopause, it could be something else. They might want to check your thyroid, for example. But yeah, I mean, if you're really struggling, then you really do need to try and find the doctor that can have that conversation and understand the difference between just treating you on your symptoms as they are or whether you're a candidate for extra blood testing. And it's sort of a pr- pretty much a recognized way of treating menopause throughout the world. Um, I think the last question I'm going to ask you is in relation to the unsexy term of behavior change and why it's so important compared to the the quick fixes that we all generally go for. We all want a quick fix in whatever way of life it is. But why 
why behavior change is so so important particularly at this stage of uh, at, at that stage of life for for a lot of people you sort of already touched on it you know we're conditioned and i'm of the generation where we'd go to the supermarket we'd go to the asda and there'd be all of those next to the next to all the chocolate bars there would be all of those magazines of like pimp women that are like super skinny and they've been eating grapefruit like diets and whatever. I mean, I remember the Atkins diet was so big back then and that was essentially keto, right? And then so so you had that. And then, you know, we also had like the opposite side of that where we were always body shamed. So if there was a woman on a front cover on the beach with her cellulite out, then she was not worthy. And so there's always been for, for women, and I think it still happens for the younger generation, unfortunately, but there's always been these ideal standards where we're, our our worth is placed on our looks and like how thin we are um, and, you know, and how young we look and all of these things. And so it's a, there's a lot of unpacking to do. And so then, you know, we have all of that and then we go through perimenopause and we see an increase in body dysmorphia and eating disorders, we see all of these things happen. And it's almost like in puberty, when we know that anorexia is one of the, and bulimia and all of the eating disorders yeah. peak around um, puberty, there's a hormonal component there for sure. And so we know that all of this is stacked up before we even start thinking about, well, now I need to make change. And so it's almost like a panic sets in. It's like, I just need to do something now. I need something radical. I need like to just lose weight. I hate the way I look. And so I back that up and go, well, first of all, don't talk to yourself like that because it's just not helpful at all. It's like you're just never, ever going to feel good about yourself. It doesn't matter how thin or fat you are because you just you don't like yourself. You need to work, like, work on that side of it. And then knowing that fad diets like. So if we go back to the, the anti-inflammatory diet, it's one in particular out there called the Galveston diet. And when I look at the Galveston diet, like and my friend Abby Langer has reviewed it. It's intermittent fasting with keto elements in because you only have about 30 grams of carbohydrates, which are an essential part of our hormonal health. We need those. Um, and then it was a low calorie, about 1300 calories, maybe a bit less some of the meals. And, um, these are rules. There's lots of rules around it. It's really oh, restrictive yes. and really. And, and so what happens is when we do something like that, we might get a win and we probably will get a win initially because you're in a calorie deficit. That's the only way you can lose weight, right? And it can happen in many different forms. But when you don't have as much energy going in, your chances are you're going to lose weight. But then how sustainable is that? How long can you keep doing this ultra low calorie, ultra low carbohydrate, time restricted eating? that probably is leaving you feeling exhausted. And then on top of that, you're trying to exercise as well. It's not, you're not setting yourself up for the best environment to, to be successful, to be healthy, to feel good. And so typically what happens, people fall off the wagon and then they fall off the wagon hard. That's human nature, right? Shane, you, you, you go on these diet cycles. I think, um, a friend of mine um, did a survey and said that most women have been on about 37 diets throughout their lifetime. And it's just yeah. horrible to think that, but I, I don't, I'm not shocked by that number. And so when we, people like us have this really moderate view where we're like, listen, stop, you don't need to do anything so drastic. You need to take your time. You need to do things on rinse and repeat. We want you to be successful and 
data shows us that by doing small changes on rinse and repeat, things will become second nature to you. It won't be such a traumatic, you won't have bad relationships with your food. You won't have bad relationships with your body. You'll start to appreciate that your body actually needs to be fueled. You'll be able to say, I'm going to do a workout. I need to make sure I've had enough carbohydrates and protein to support the strength training I'm doing. And it, it's it's freeing and it's releasing, but it's slow. It's yeah. not a quick hit, right? But yeah. studies show that it's more successful. Weight loss stays off longer. Habits stick. And this can apply to any part of your life. This can apply to silly things like flossing, right? Anything, yeah. right? Getting up a little bit earlier. Like we've got ways that we can do these small habitual changes. And and I always like um, refer to James Clear's work because I've studied behavioral change, but I'm not the expert like he is. And I, I love his thing where he says behavioral change, should you should be able to tell, tell someone what it is within two minutes. It shouldn't be big and radical. Yeah, yeah. It should be like, you know, always going to have protein for breakfast, right? Like it's, and, and looking at what the outcome of that is, it's, well, it's because I'm trying to get stronger. I'm trying to build up my muscle health or, you know, like I don't want to have those drops in sugar throughout the day, whatever your goal is. Um, and then, you know, just um, also doing something that you're going to be successful at. He's very keen on the win strategy. So if you pick that you're going to do protein for your breakfast, but you actually hate protein and you don't think you can do it, then really don't think about starting there, right? Start where something that you sort of enjoy doing. If you enjoy walking, how about you leave the house 10 minutes earlier and you t do a different loop? Like that's a win that you can probably do and sustain for at least a month, two months. And then by then, hopefully it's something that you just do. Yeah, I think exactly what you said. It's, it, it's trying to figure out what is it actually going to add to your life or take something else away from your life is a really big question to ask as well. But I think when you sp spoke about the stats of kind of how many people or how many diets people have gone on, I think this, the, the stats are quite are scary. I think it's something like 20, I think the odds was like something between 15 and 20 years people can spend on a diet in their lifetime, particularly women. And then they end up spending in a slimming club or as i call them skimming clubs uh i think it's uh, you end up spending about on average about 200 euro per pound of weight loss rather than the 10 euro meeting per meeting i think it's 10 euro now per meeting that wow. you attend wow. you're kind of like that's a lot of meetings so you're kind of like if you're going 52 weeks in a year it's 520 quid you're literally only going to really lose about two and a half pounds in that year if anything if you look at that stats like that's quite scary that's quite scary yeah but that doesn't mean yeah. it's a, that doesn't mean it's a definitive link. But that's just some of the stats that a lot of people are saying right now, and it's it's like we all want quick fixes, whatever it may be, whether it's in relationships, whether it's with finance, whether it's with business, whatever it may be. Yeah. But off it like those quick fixes we, they fix. But we also very... want to be successful. Yeah. And I think that's... that it, it gets to the point where I think I we see it peaking around midlife where women are just like I've tried everything and it's nothing's working and I don't think they have tried everything they've probably tried every diet but they've never tried to heal their relationship with food and it goes back That's to that what I was saying thing. about we've been conditioned to be to look in the mirror and not allow ourselves to get fat or get old well you know fuck that noise yeah, <laughs> yeah but I, yeah but I think with the relationship with food is one of those things that like I've done I had Simon Hill on and he was talking about yeah. the the like what's healthy eating. Healthy eating should be 
a relationship or having a healthy relationship with food it shouldn't be something taken out of your diet or shouldn't be anything else look at your relationship with food because ultimately your relationship with food is basically how you see yourself being projected onto food and when people when that resonates or lands with people it's kind of like well i'm bad for having carbohydrates or i'm good for having protein are you putin and stalin and all them people were bad people it doesn't necessarily mean you're on the same spectrum as them uh, but amanda i know we are tight for time so thank you so much for coming on where can people work with you where can people buy the book just go to my website which is amandafeed.com and then you can access all avenues from there you know my social media buy the book all of those stuff so yeah head there thanks for having awesome. me on share nice to like see you exactly yeah thank you so much for coming on all right take care bye for now Thank you so much to Amanda for coming on to the podcast and sharing her journey, talking about proper information and evidence-based information. And I think someone at any stage of their life, if you're particularly going through that stage of your life, if you are trying to support someone at that stage of their life as well, at perimenopause, menopause, at any stage really, and if you're actually coaching people to that stage of life, that episode can be really, really helpful and can be really, really useful as a resource. So if you've enjoyed that episode at all, please do tag Amanda and I up onto your stories and please do. And it's important that you this conversation, this topic is heard and shared amongst a lot of people. And please do leave a review up on iTunes and up on Spotify. If you have enjoyed it, please do tag us, please do share it, please do review it. The more that that happens, the bigger, the better the guests that can keep growing. This podcast can keep growing and get proper information out. So without doubt, thank you so much for listening to the episode. If you're interested in working with me on the Female Fat Loss Group, pop me a DM or click on the link into the show notes. It starts on the 10th of April and the response has been mental so far. So thank you to everyone who has signed up so far. And it's going to be the bigger and best yet because it's been created by clients for clients. So thank you so much for listening to the episode with Amanda Thiebe.